Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's listener episode month here on the Imbalance History of Rock and Roll, brought to you by Crooked Eye Brewing in the heart of Hapro, pouring the cure for what ails you since 2014. And we've already seen a couple really interesting subjects come across our path, Marcus. And the path this time takes us down to the Delta, to the Crescent City. I am so excited to dig in and talk about this. I think in the last couple of weeks, beginning our learning about the Crescent City and its influence on rock and roll has just been mind-blowing. And some of the little side stories that have sort of appeared during the research time have been fascinating. And I am so excited to talk about it and dig into it in future episodes because this city is going to keep coming back up yes. in yes. the months and years ahead as we continue to do the imbalanced history of rock and roll. And the listener to the podcast who sent this in is Robert Scully. Uh, he wanted to hear about the roots of New Orleans and he couldn't make it to be on the podcast with us to talk about it a little bit, but we thank him for that suggestion. And I think when it gets down to it in New Orleans, you have to go back before the Emancipation Proclamation, you have to go back to Congo Square, which was where a lot of the slavery sales went on in New Orleans at that time. you got to realize their history, who they are as a city, is because they're so close to the water. They're a port city. And we're going to find out ties to European cities that had an influence on the music because of the fact that New Orleans was a port city or is a port city. Congo Square has like so many meetings for the black population in New Orleans. In one way, it's where a lot of their musical gatherings began in the 1830s and 40s. It's crazy what has happened because of Nola's unique situation? Is that a good way to look at it? When you look at the music of New Orleans, the way it started and how it's developed into where it is today is some of the most joyous music in the world. It's kind of incredible. It really is. 
the stories of how this musical style came together, and it's really fascinating. You have this city, this important port city down in the southern part of the United States that is a big shipping city, and of course, sadly, a lot of awful things happen tied to slavery, but, mm-hmm. and as we see by the slaves getting together to dance and to sing and to play music play on music, Sundays right? in Congo Square, Maybe they were paying tribute to all of those relatives who were forced to come over here, and it was a way of honoring them because in Africa, music was so important with the drums and the strings and how their lives centered around music to try to think optimistically through all of the awful things that were happening. Well, that leads me around to some interesting thoughts, my bongosophical brother. You kind of hit it on the head there. But, you know, it's like when we get bongosophical, it's like, wait a minute, it's like a game of whack-a-mole. The head keeps moving. (laughs) (laughs) We're in New Orleans. We didn't take the time machine, man. We're going down for real this time because it's one of my favorite places. The place itself, its energy, the music, the food, the drinks, the people are the most important element. Forget all the fancy houses in the Garden District and everything else. When you get down to it, the energy of the French Quarter and the people of New Orleans is what it's all about. And the neat thing about New Orleans, uh, just some quick side stuff, you never know what you're going to see when you're walking around because there are so many bizarre happenings in the French Quarter. I'm also going to tell you, if you're going to the French Quarter for the first time, don't do what I did. Walk down two blocks into the quarter before you even think about buying a drink. Lesson one taught about the French Quarter. <laughs> I don't have to go into details, up. do I? No. <laughs> you don't want lesson two. <laughs> Here's a funny thing that was happening uh, through the time, and it's hard to think about New Orleans as this uh, puritanically white city, you know? I know it had its uh, French roots and all that stuff, and it had Spanish roots, all the different people who'd come through, and Canadians, too, who'd come through and tried to uh, inhabit this little land on the strip of uh, the river, you know? Yeah. And it got to the point where by uh, the late 1830s, the, the Picayune, which is part of the Times-Picayune newspaper uh, empire, the Picayune ran an article about how horrible our streets are being taken over by all these brass bands. Well, what was happening then, as far back as the 1830s and 40s, was a tradition that is absolutely one of my favorite things about New Orleans and one of my favorite moments from my visit there. The Corner Brass Band, playing together with all the spirit coming out of them, getting free. Really an incredible phenomenon to the city. And what's really crazy is to see the people dancing in their circle and people dropping fives and tens and twenties into their boxes. And if they're smart, the brass band that's working that night can time it out so that they go down right between the bands who are playing the clubs on Frenchmen's um, during their set breaks and just slide right in, do their little thing, boom, right up to the house. It's one of those things, Marcus, if you experience it, you're just going to want it every day. And that's why people move there. There are so many bars and so many clubs and so many places to eat. You just kind of got to go. I'm willing to give anybody my list, but it's just like a slice. People have been living there and going there for years and still find stuff that they love new in New Orleans. One of the oldest cities, right? 300 years they've been grooving in New Orleans, and it is such an international city. And I've been there once. I was there in the early 90s, so I was in my mid-20s. 
we were on our way to take a cruise down through the Caribbean, so we only had one night each way in New Orleans. But boy, the energy. That could be enough to get in trouble. Unbelievable. Absolutely. You can get in trouble in an hour in New Orleans. You don't even need an hour. You need 15 minutes and you're in trouble in New Orleans. (laughs) But seriously, the energy of that city was unbelievable. Walking down Bourbon Street even and just walking through the French Quarter and trying to, you know, and moseying into some of the uh, voodoo shops. You're going to make me go get all my trip pictures out, aren't you? Absolutely. I definitely want to see pictures of the brass bands that you saw on the corners because that's one of those situations that keeps the energy of New Orleans alive for people to see. You know what else is cool? Seeing Touchdown Jesus while drinking absinthe. Say what? (laughs) There's a statue of Jesus that when the light goes on it at night, it projects against the, uh, the church that it's in front of. And it's, you know, how Jesus puts his hands up in statues, like, you know, but yeah. they're just far enough up so that it looks like, and the light's low, so it looks like Jesus is signaling a touchdown in football. Uh, just say it. Touchdown, Jesus. Next All right, can we seconds. talk about the music? I, we're going to talk about New Orleans for an hour, and people are going to be like, yeah, the roots. Yeah, they were going to talk about that. Yeah. Let's talk about this stuff that was originally called jazz. Just like reggae, they got it wrong. It was originally called jazz. Not jazz with two Z's. So at the beginning of jazz, there's a lot of discussion about how it all came together. You know, we're talking about the atmosphere in the 1830s and 40s. The music is there. The players are there, right? They're in the street playing. They're in the clubs playing. But all the people who form the influence on today's New Orleans, they are a key group that all were about 100 to 120 years ago in their prime. And they all point to and look at a person from the 1800s who they say was the the main figure in jazz history that never got the credit he was due. And we'll talk about that in a few minutes. He died in 1931, born in 1877. His name, Buddy Bolden. If that's the first time you're hearing Buddy Bolden's name, go watch the movie Bolden. And it'll tell you enough about him. When you come right down to it, the man who started the big noise in jazz was Buddy Bolden. Yes, he was a powerful trumpet player, and a good one too. I guess he deserves credit for starting it all. Mud Carey. And out of all of this comes Buddy Bolden. Dark-skinned Negro from the church. Buddy Bolden's innovation was one of personality. So instead of playing all this fast stuff, he would bring you the sound of Buddy Bolden. Marcus, it's a classic case that we've come across while we've done this podcast of mental illness, misdiagnosed, mistreated. And at one point in our story, Buddy goes away to the Louisiana State Insane Asylum at just age 30, where he spends the rest of his life. I wonder if the fact that he was misdiagnosed and undertreated had anything to do with the fact that that he was black. It might be, but I think also part of the issue was ignorance. Look at some of the ignorance that we've seen about treating mental illness in just our first couple years of doing this podcast. That's true. Even, you know, in the 50s and 60s, 60, 70 years before that, even worse. What I'll say about Bolden is that it's agreed amongst the recognized 
foundations of modern jazz and New Orleans music, the Buddy Bolden was someone who did a lot. When I say the foundations, look at these names. King Oliver, who was Louis Armstrong's go-to guy, his compadre, uh, Louis, the great Sidney Bechet, and Jelly Roll Morton. These four are considered, from 100 years ago into the wild, roaring 20s, they're considered the core leadership amongst New Orleans musicians. And they all say, or said, that Buddy was the man. There was a lot of talk about the importance of Buddy Bolden in a little segment I saw on YouTube, which was from one of the History Channels going over the life of Buddy Bolden. He developed that big four pattern that allowed for improvisation, changed it where he combined the standard beat march with the handbone rhythm, and that developed that four pattern that allowed the musicians to play free form and really let their feelings out and another Nothing thing like that was going on before oh. it was really very tight into the form so in some ways everyone through new orleans but also everyone in jazz owes a lot to that aspect of it the improvisation the feel when i was watching the Bolden movie i distinctly remember thinking boy miles must have been all about this guy because any of the free thinkers of the 50s, 60s, and 70s had to have known that he was keystone, that his touch and feel, his improv, his ability to blow differently than everybody else, these are the things that made him unique. They began to be the characteristics that jazzers would be striving for. I want to find my unique thing, mm -hmm. just like this guy or that guy or my hero or that hero. They said that he blew the trumpet so hard, harder than anybody and one guy described it as Buddy's trumpet had a moan in his coronet that mm. just went through you like you were in church or something. Can you imagine living in the time of Bolden, he hearing and feeling that? Oh, oh yeah. Another part of the story of New Orleans, which I think is going to come into play, is the red light district of New Orleans, Storyville, because that's... Well, let's talk about that for a second. That's yeah. where it got dirty, and that's where they really poured their hearts out and their feel, because it showed you that jazz was both good and terrible. It was real. Like life. And jazz didn't hide what went on under the sheets. Early jazz was very open about the sexuality of humanity, and that made people very uncomfortable. That's why I think sure after midnight, things got real funky in the Red Light District Storyville of New Orleans, and that's where jazz musicians really developed their sound because they were It was a lot more, though. It was a lot more than just the Red Light District. Mm -hmm. You're right. All That's where they developed their sound. There were clubs and speakeasies yes. and... Uh, they, they're all musicians live there and it was, yes, also a center for prostitution and other things that were going on. Storyville was the place you were, you went to when you were looking for action. It is the birthplace of jazz because that atmosphere that I don't know how many blocks square that it is. I was at the, uh, St. Louis number two cemetery and the, the, the tour guide pointed in the direction 
of where Storyville was and showed us what the where the buildings that used to be Storyville weren't are now. And I made a mental note because the next time I go, I'm definitely going to go and check that out and find out the history more about Storyville in New Orleans. It is the birthplace of jazz and apparently a good Hummer. <laughs> I would have to bet a great Hummer at that point. <laughs> well, you know, you mentioned influences and, and, and different people come into the port. Different musicians like what they hear and they stay and they start to influence the sound. Uh, uh, people from Italy and Cuba. And they're all adding on to all the things that everybody's building off of out of that music of uh, the 1830s and 40s that happened in Congo Square that led to brass bands, that led to Buddy Bolden, that leads to the Big Four. How jazz evolved into what it is is pretty fascinating because you had early ragtime, which wasn't keyboard ragtime. It was more string ragtime because yeah. they didn't have the keys. And a lot of the music came from the Fields. The brass and, the, and brass. the brass. You're right. But the oh yeah, but oh the oh the source of the music and the yeah. source of the feelings. Sure, yeah. sure. But they had begun to start to develop an urban sound in in the music of black folks in New Orleans. At least, maybe not everywhere. But it wasn't so rural anymore. It was starting to develop its own thing. And what I noticed is that when you look at the music of the Delta, and I'm talking about 1800 stuff. When we look at the stuff that we covered early in the blues. There's a lot of cross-territory with what's going to go on in New Orleans with jazz. The difference is you're in a, an isolated place. You've got your own set of influences and different people with uh, similar or complementary talents. And they're all working on this like crazy, right? Now, ragtime, Sidney Bechet called his music ragtime until the end of his days. And I believe he was a piano player, which made him, you know, kind of a, a, a favorite amongst uh, people, you know, because there wasn't that element in it. But ragtime kind of became like the pop music version of what was going on. The first I ever remember hearing of what I consider to be New Orleans early jazz was what was called Dixieland. Yes. And I believe they called it that because it was easy for people outside of New Orleans to understand if you start talking about the Gree Gree and all the voodoo and all that stuff, you would have, you would have, have America would have gone, oh my God, the Gree Gree, what's that? <laughs> but so those big four influence a lot of other people and other people move there and there's all this really great stuff happening, Marcus. All right there where the, where the Mississippi does that little half circle around to the sea. You know, it's just an amazing thing to experience and to think that all this was going on kind of like a a cook a pot you put on the big pot of gumbo and let it cook all day and and you come out at the end of the day with something tasty and something musical that's tasty as well absolutely so it kind of developed from there but the jazz sound that original jazz sound had that real upbeat and you've been hearing it you've been listening i've been discovering people uh, the last couple days myself I've, I've been listening a lot to people who are in the same category about the ones that we know and when I really start digging into it, I found this group called Johnny Dodd's Black Bottom Stompers. There were April 27 sessions that I heard, and very similar to Louis Armstrong, but the vocalist was different. I love Louis Armstrong. He's an American classic. He did a thing called Wild Man Blues. It was just out of control good. And 
So you see a lot of people who are developing their talents and joining forces. And you get Barney Bigard and Johnny Dodds working together, and then you throw in Louis Armstrong and Earl Hines. How can you go wrong is the question the article asks, and you couldn't. No way. And all that starts to lead to Bourbon Street in the 50s, which from that time and before even, New Orleans had a lot of tourism. Oh, yeah. But in the 50s, it starts to include people you know and have heard of, like Smiley Lewis or Clarence Frogman Henry. You went away and left me long time ago. Now you come back knocking on my door. I hear you knocking, but you can't come in. I hear you knocking. Go back where you been. Ooh, ooh, ain't got no home. I know baby They were the guys who were holding court uh, in the 50s and the 60s as the next generation, the people that made us fall in love with New Orleans music, began to emerge. I mean, that's what we're getting around to, right? Absolutely. I mean, the music that we're familiar with in New Orleans was so influenced by that early stuff. And if you want to talk about the happiness or the positivity or the feel-good vibe from New Orleans, turn on Live and Let Die, James Bond. There's a funeral scene in New Orleans. <laughs> Whose uh, funeral is it? Yours. <laughs> People celebrated the life of whoever was deceased like nobody's right. business, and that's what it's about. The second line comes into play at some point. When someone who loved music or was a musician would pass initially, when they took them from the church to the to the cemetery, they would form up a second line. You know, the first line would take it to the church, second line would take it to the grave, and they played music all the way to the grave. And it started as kind of an ad hoc thing, and it's part of any New Orleans traditional funeral. It's one of those things that's hard to understand. And the fact is, the, the application to it is, we're so happy that you're free of this fucking planet that we're going to dance and sing in the streets for you. Because <laughs> it's recognition that there's a lot of bullshit that we live our life by that's voiced upon us. Yeah. And here, it's all off. Anything that you felt like you were hit with when you were dealt with when you were alive it's all off and you're wherever the hell we go now there's a lot of conjecture about that in the various religious views and voodoo faiths of new orleans where the spirit goes and we're not here to discuss that although it comes up because you gotta you know, gotta consider all this when you're talking about the second line and i, I don't want anything that extravagant when i go <laughs> you know what i yeah. mean 
you know, put me in a vase and stick me on the shelf. Yeah, there's Grandpa over there, you know. Yep. I'm fine <laughs> with that as well. <laughs> but uh, it is an amazing thing, and I've never experienced it in person, but uh, the bigger the personality, the bigger the second line, the more intense sometimes. I don't say that's a general rule. Dude, after a funeral, I think I need a beer. <sighs> Great idea. So let's head the Crooked Eye and come back to talk more about NOLA Roots in Listener Month on the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll. Summertime and a great pint go together like water, yeast, and hops. <laughs> and what a better place to go to get the pint that you want than Crooked Eye Brewery right there at York and Montgomery in the heart of Hapro. With Pennsylvania's restrictions easing, there is live music and some other great events going on at Crooked Eye. So not only do you get that pint, but you get to have a good time with your friends as well. They are fully open, and I went in to see the Crooked Eye Band, the full Crooked Eye Band, back together for the first time in over a year. And what a great time when they're in on second Saturdays. And you can get great music at Killer Crooked Eye near you at Jamie's House of Music in Lansdowne now. Stop on by, see live music, and have a pint of your favorites from Crooked Eye at Jamie's House of Music. Right in the heart of Delco. And there's something else happening at the brewery, Marcus. They are now serving spirits. Pennsylvania Craft Spirits, now available along with your finest brews and all the other goodies they have at Crooked Eye and Hapro. I just think it helps everybody to have what they want, and that's part of having a good time when you go in both at the Hapro Brewery location and at Jamie's House of Music. So wine and cocktails there as well. It's all part of the fun at Crooked Eye. Check them out at crookedeyebrewery.com. The best way to keep up with what's going on at both locations is on Facebook, though. They do a great job keeping us informed of what's happening at Crooked Eye or Jamie's House of Music on Facebook. Pour in the cure for what ails you since 2014. Check them out. Crooked Eye Brewery in the heart of Hapro. And in the heart of Delco. Pantheon Podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. 
Ray, that beer tasted so good, and it was a heck of a tribute to all of what we have experienced in New Orleans over the centuries. They make pretty good beer in New Orleans, but mostly they make fun. (laughs) They make a lot of fun. They do, and they know how to throw a funeral. Oh boy, do they. And uh, speaking of funerals, sadly we lost Buddy Bolden, I think in 1931, way too young. He had had a mental illness that was very similar to Vincent Van Gogh's, they think, as far as his break. They just, he was playing in a parade in 1906, the very last time he played the trumpet. And mid-parade, he just had a mental break and left the parade. He never played again publicly. Six months later, he was institutionalized at the Louisiana State Insane Asylum in Jackson for the rest of his life. Yeah, that's what we were talking about in the first half. Yep. They said that uh, they think that his uh, diagnosis, his mental break was similar to that which Vincent Van Gogh had before he died. Remember, he cut off his ear. You said that. What's the deal there, though? What is that called? I don't know anything about it. I don't know anything about the actual mental... Do we have other things we need it was learn? schizophrenia. It was a schizophrenia oh, okay. of some sort. And as we talked about earlier, man, people back then certainly had less knowledge about how to deal with these things. For a lot of people, a lot of patients, sadly, the answer was to stick you in a mental hospital. And that's where Buddy spent the rest of his life. And he was a heavy drinker, spending as much time as he did in Storyville at the Speakeasy. So alcohol was involved. They don't know anything about drugs. He was pretty much unknown and very little was known about his life, especially during those years, other than the fact that he played music. People didn't know a lot about Buddy. It took until the last few years, really, for anybody to really start picking up on him Mm -hmm. and what his influence was. And it's another one of those cases, Marcus, that we come across where we'll just never know how much great music he would have gone on to make in those ensuing years. I mean, he died still pretty young, and at 30 to just disappear. And it's kind of a, one of those strange stories in music history. Mm-hmm. It got us to where we are here because he is a ge- he was a genius, and he really changed the world of music single-handedly. The way I get it is that we almost didn't get his music at all. Only the stuff that was written down was really passed on, and people started looking at it and going, whoa, this is what we're doing now. So you put those all together, and you start to recognize the genius of Bolden and his influence on the big four. And they had a ton of influence down the line. And someone that I always thought was from Cuba, because he's Louis Prima, He's from New Orleans. He was born in New Orleans in 1910. When you're smiling, when you're smiling, when you're smiling, when you're smiling, and the whole world smiles at you. And when you're laughing, when you're laughing, oh, you're laughing, oh, you're laughing, when the sun comes shining through, shining through. when you're crying, when you're crying, you bring on the rain. Stop your sign. Won't you be happy again? happy again? When you're smiling, keep on smiling. And the world will smile. And his son, Louis Prima Jr., is on the road now. We just got an email about that, right? Yes, we did. We definitely have to talk to Louis Prima Jr. about his New Orleans roots. So Louis begins to take influence from the other Louis, Armstrong. And Prima starts to become a big figure uh, in New Orleans music. Rock and roll starts to filter in. 
Dave Bartholomew. Uh, of course, the great Fats Domino. You made me cry when you said goodbye. Ain't that a shame? My tears fell like rain. Ain't that a shame? You're the one to blame. You broke my heart. The early side of influence. Uh, of what would become the meters, those guys coming together. But you also had the Dixieland music that continued to grow and and, and move forward. And, and some of the figures in there, like Pete Fountain and Al Hurt, were considered, you know, royalty in New Orleans, even after they had become a curiosity to the mainstream uh, in the 70s and 80s. It's pretty interesting stuff when you see how the music of the mainstream combined with the music of the roots and the underground coming out in a way to create this sound in the 50s i mean think about that's domino in the 50s man the guy was incredible he had a hit after hit him and bartholomew wrote most of them right that's mm-hmm. domino man those two guys were the backbone of that label and really helped to turn new orleans into a bit of a rock and roll town Little Richard caught the bug and recorded Tutti Fruity down there. He used Alan Toussaint as a producer. And that's part of the next round or generation of guys that would come along and continue uh, the tradition of New Orleans that would include the meters. Alan Toussaint, Professor Longhair. To me, the essence of New Orleans is all cooked down in one man. Fess was an amazing tour de force. When he finally got his music out on a big national label, Alligator Records put out Crawfish Fiesta. I was the right age to get the fever, man. I was listening to that. I'm getting ready for, for today's show. And I was just going, Fess! It was so great. <laughs> and his hands moved in a way that nobody before or since could imitate. Uh, not even Dr. John, who's one of his spawn, you know what I'm saying? You know, He's one of the greats, too. They came from the big four in the 20s and 30s. Most of those guys died before 1950. They came from the stuff in the 50s that included Pete Fountain and Al Hurt and Fats Domino. They came from Professor Longhair and the Meters and Toussaint, Dr. John. And they're here now from the Nevilles and everything after Preservation Hall Jazz Band kind of like a national historic place there in the in the quarter it leads from buddy bolden all the way through to these guys today to trombone and john batiste and all the guys and and all the people who in the last 20 30 years before them here come the girl kid who's ever played on a street corner you think about it something that starts somewhere deep inside buddy bolden's soul all comes around becomes this thing 
goes way differently and beyond what he probably initially thought. The whole brass band thing can't have been in his sphere of influence or what he was thinking. But every kid who's ever played on a street corner owes him something. That's true, and how his music spread from New Orleans up and out is all owed to Buddy Bolden because he influenced the Delta. He had an influence on the Chicago sound. He had an influence on the, you know, like the Blind Lemon Jeffersons of Texas. I think it all may have uh, shot out from New Orleans because people travel. And, That's true. And, and I'm just and, I'm listening. I'm trying to get what you're saying because this is a different thought, and I like it. And it just uh, it seems like I mean, if you think about it, with New Orleans being a port city, they had a tight relationship with Palermo, Sicily, because it was a direct shipping route. You had West Africa, the slaves. You had the Caribbean, the Afro-Cubano population. Mm-hmm. You also had South America and their sounds moving up. And then, of course, you had all of the indigenous American sounds like the uh, country and the rockabilly, you know, all of that stuff all mixed in with the sl- sounds of the slaves People come here and visit because New Orleans is such an incredible city. And then you have these wealthy people seeing all of this and being blown away. And they're like, holy cow, you're not going to believe the sounds that I heard in New Orleans. It may have been one of those big hubs where everything spread from. Sorry for being so wordy, damn it. Report from the research department. It was Imperial Records that had... um Fats Domino and Dave Bartholomew and others uh, recording a lot of their songs. And it was the brainchild of Lou Chud who formed Imperial. And he's the one that got Dave Bartholomew involved as a producer, which led to him and, and Fats doing a lot of great stuff together. It's rock and roll. It's not the biggest slice, by the way. Uh, the stuff in the 50s, Dr. John and some of the other stuff, you know, you interpret it however you want. That may be rock and roll. It's got elements of it. But the music of New Orleans permeates everything that comes out of the Delta, man. In the Southland, there's a city way down on the river Where the women are very pretty And all the men deliver It, it really does. It it gives you this different feel, uh, whether it's uh, a bunch of white guys from Annunciation Street or uh, the hot new kid with the trombone and a badass band. Speaking of trombone shorty in New Orleans Avenue, I can't wait to see him again now that the pandemic's over. We listened to the meters all through dinner last night. We put on their debut. Fantastic. We put on their debut record and... All of the sounds that were coming out of the stereo were beautiful. You felt really good listening to this record. And you hear the classical influences. You hear the jazz. You hear the ragtime. You hear the Dixie. You hear it all. But Mm. it's got its own flavor made by the meters. And it's really, really cool. It's like a fine gumbo market. Sometimes it seems like they're all random ingredients going into the pot but there's madness to the music you know what i'm saying oh absolutely and it's a (laughs) lot of fun seriously it is feel good music you need some feel good music that's what i'm talking about yeah i've been uh rediscovering that i'm gonna give a couple recommendations homework if you want go to spotify or wherever you can if you have it on vinyl it's even better 
Uh, listen to Professor Longhair Crawfish Fiesta. Uh, that's one you definitely got to check out. If you can find music of Buddy Bolden, you're probably going to find it mainly from the movie. That's great. But listen to the big four. I found a lot of neat stuff by uh, putting in New Orleans playlists and just kind of surfing around and listening to some stuff. And uh, you just never know what you'll discover that you never knew existed when you explore yourself out there on the internets. Absolutely. I found some good stuff on YouTube as well. Um, Buddy Bolden's Blues may come up. And just so you know, that was originally called Funky Butt. And it was the first documented use of the word funky in recorded music history as of this point. Jelly Roll Morton does the Buddy Bolden blues, and he does it really nicely on YouTube. You hear a few different versions of it, and it's really cool Uh to see some of these bands trying to uh, pass on the feel of what Buddy Bolden did or who he was, and it's pretty fascinating, but the music is pretty powerful. Just stuck on something you said, because I guess back then you just couldn't ever say funky butt uh, in a song (laughs) that was being recorded. It's just never going to airplay. never going to get Funky butt, man. Oh, no. Well, that's not going to work. i going to call it funky something else. Well, what's funky? That's, <laughs> that's probably the conversation. Well, what's funky mean? I don't understand that at all. Why are you talking about someone's butt as if it's enticing? Wait a minute. <laughs> Hold the phones, Chuck. I thought I heard Buddy Bolden say Yeah, you're awful. You're terrible. Take him away Disgusting, undesirable Take him away I thought I heard him say Yeah, well, this is what we find out when we start looking around, and every now and then uh, we get the research team involved. Thanks to them for chiming in. I can't believe I didn't just have Imperial on the top of my brain. I've got the red and silver label. I can always recall that. I just couldn't remember that. And that's why we have the research team here on The Imbalance History. (laughs) Well, I'm telling you that we want to go back. It's been a few years since Maurice and I went. We want to go back to NOLA and just uh, walk the streets. Again, go down two blocks on bourbon before you start drinking. Trust me. You'll be glad you did. Uh, (laughs) So we can go to, you know, Lafitte's, uh, uh, have some absinthe and walk the streets where so many great musicians made the music. And one of these days I'm going to get down there for uh, French Quarter Fest, which is uh, in the streets of the French Quarter. That sounds wild. Hey, do you have any New Orleans remembrances you want to share? Send them on an email to imbalancehistory at gmail.com. So feel free to add on there or, you know, send us a private message any way you want. And like you mentioned earlier, I think it's really sad that we don't have any of Buddy Bolden's music recorded because the first official jazz song recorded is called Livery Stable Blues. Check it out. You can find the original recording with the hisses and pops on YouTube. And you can hear the New Orleans sound as well as you can hear how jazz rooted from that record. You hear a little bit of the jazz, the Dixie, the ragtime, and the brass in there. It's pretty fascinating. All those things in a big pot of gumbo make New Orleans, and it makes it all sound good to me. Well, thanks for your feedback, and thanks to Robert Scully for hooking us up with the idea of exploring NOLA roots, and we discovered a few things along the way, including a deeper appreciation, I think, for Buddy Bolden and some of the other artists along the way that have really made things 
what they are today and over the last uh, 30, 40, 50 years of people's lifetimes. So. But I got some bad news. What? It happens anytime you go there, we got to leave New Orleans. Ooh, that is bad news. <laughs> That's sad, mad. <laughs> so until the next time that we can go to New Orleans or any wonderful place to explore the music and excitement of their uh, terrain, I'll sign off by telling you we are live in the Dark Dock Studios, and soon we'll either be in the Magic Bag or Soul Kitchen Studios in person. Cannot wait. All right, till that happens, I'm out. I'm Ray Coob. I'm Marcus Goldman. And you've been listening to The Imbalanced History of New Orleans and... Rock and Roll. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.